Uh, with me, we have Sally Wainwright, the BAFTA award-winning writer and director behind To Walk Invisible, who has been bringing television drama to our screens for nearly 25 years. We're also joined by Faith Penhale, the program's executive producer. And from the cast, we have Chloe Peary, who plays Emily Bronte, Charlie Murphy, who plays Anne, and Finn Atkins, who plays Charlotte. Please welcome the panel up to the stage. Oh, thank you for such a brilliant production. So I was actually, I made a set visit um, to Haworth uh, to see the filming of the production earlier on this year. And it's incredible to see how it's all being transformed. It's, it looks so beautiful. Um, the first question I wanted to ask, and I'd like to ask this one to, to Sally and Faith, is um, how did this production come about? And what drew you to make a drama about the Bronte sisters? Um, well, I was approached by Faith about five years ago to write drama. I mean, the, the idea initially was to celebrate the bicentenary of Charlotte's birth in um, 2016. So... Um, just about. We just got it in. Just, <laughs> literally. <laughs> we just made it. Yeah. Yeah. We were doing boot camp when she was celebrating. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It was a birthday yeah. we were rehearsing. And I knew... I, I, Sally and I had known each other for a while, and I, I knew we'd, we'd been talking for a little while about it. Obviously, knew um, about her passion for Howarth, for the Brontes, for their work, and um, thought that there might be um, you know, an, an interesting um, opportunity to tell their story. Because obviously the sisters, their novels are so incredibly well known, but I think one of the most surprising things is, you know, no one really knows about their own personal dramas that went on in their lives. Were you surprised by them? You, I mean, you, you know quite a lot. <laughs> you, you'd read and, you know, been obviously um, growing up nearby, knew them for a long time. So you had always been aware of this story if you... Yeah, I mean, I can't really remember a time when I didn't know about the Brontes. I'm sure there was one, but... Um, <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, you know, from a very early age, I was visiting the parsonage, so I kind of... Um, uh, it's a story I've grown up with, and it's, it's something I've known a lot about for a long time, so... But Finn, you didn't at all. You were fresh to all of this. No, I had no idea about their... I kind of like studied them at school a little bit, but then that was kind of it. And then this kind of reintroduced me to them, like to their life and private life and their work and stuff. So yeah. And obviously, this um, this drama covers a very particular part of the Bronte sisters' lives, mm -hmm. and and obviously Branwell's life as well, from 1845 to 1848. And this is really when they started to emerge into the world. But why why didn't you decide to tell their wider story? Why did you want to focus on these particular three years? Well, because they, they were so intense. And I mean, you're looking at the last three years, we could always refer back to earlier in their lives as we did the, you know, the flashback, and then there's lots of conversations about things that have happened in the past. So it felt very... What was really interesting when um, really sat down to look at their lives was that last three years that I didn't, I didn't really invent anything. I was, you know, there was very little poetic license taken. That story is very much as it did happen in real life. So it, it felt like a really um, obvious choice to make, to look at them at their most mature when, they, you know, before they died. <laughs> well, obviously. Um, <laughs> um, but when they were, they, it was odd that they were all back at home. They'd all been away doing other things. Um, Charlotte had been away um, teaching. Um, Anne had been away as a governess. Emily had been away briefly before she came back to be Patrick's housekeeper. Branwell had been off being a tutor. And then for, for different reasons, they all came back to Howarth in the summer of 1845, having done other things. 
So that it seemed like a really obvious starting point. That was quite a breakthrough moment when we first started talking about it, and we you were looking for the way in, the kind of uh, window in which you'd sort of through which you tell the story, and finding that sort of moment in time when the three sisters were back at the house and, and Branwell was there, and being able to kind of chart his decline against their ascendance was a really uh, well, and seeing how his decline moment. was instrumental in pushing them to do what they did. I mean, I, I'm sure they would have done what they did anyway, but you, there was something about his illness that um, motivated them and, and also informed their work. I mean, the, the tenant Wildfell Hall is all about living with an alcoholic and there are aspects of Wuthering Heights that are to do with alcoholism. So he inevitably had a huge impact on the three sisters' lives mm. and their work. And um, Charlie, obviously you, pe you play Anne, and she in many ways is the least, um, she's the least well-known of the sisters. Mm -hmm. um, how did you get into her character? Well, um, like the rest of us, I didn't really know a lot about them. You kind of have a general feel when you're younger, when you're studying in school, but um, just a kind of a general idea that there were three sisters and they wrote great novels. And, um, so I didn't really know anything about Anne. But um, we had uh, we had some intensive homework sessions oh. before we started, and yeah, we just read all of their work. And it's funny, kind of going back to well, it was my first time reading Anne's work, but going back to the rest of their work, um, reading it with a purpose to do something with it was very interesting. And I think you mentioned to me when I um, spoke to you earlier this year, you're named after Charlotte Bronte yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that quiet. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> yeah, my mum's going to be happy. <laughs> and Chloe, you told me um, earlier this year, you were, you were talking about the Bronte boot camp you went on. I'm not sure if that was as, as intense as it sounds, but what happened there? Oh, oh, yeah, it sounds quite intense, doesn't it? It's become this thing. Um, no, we, it wasn't like, at all, though. We just had loads of dinners. No, it was just yeah, a lot. Like, Well-informed people. <laughs> yeah, we just like got to know each other a bit. And, um, yeah, we had some dinners with some historians. And we went on walks, and we went around the area. And I think the landscape, you know, get into the landscape and sort of got... I think it's helpful before you start something to get to know your family. And so you're not kind of, you know, there's no you're happy in silence kind of thing when you're working together. That's really important, I think. And so we kind of, yeah, we just talked a lot and hung out. <laughs> and we did calligraphy lessons as well at one point. Oh, really? Yeah, we Who did lots the best? of... Uh, you were quite good, actually. No, just the small. Just the small. Sally, 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 like, kind of took over from all yeah. of us and ended up, like, doing <laughs> yeah, all of the, like, writing anyway. <laughs> um, it was incredible to see how Howarth was transformed. And I'm probably butchering this quote Massively, but I think it was Virginia Woolf when she visited Howarth who said, um, "The Brontes express Howarth, and Howarth expresses the Brontes." And I think that really, that really came across in *To Walk Invisible*. But it, the Howarth has had a complete transformation in in your production from what it is today, this sort of very chocolate box village. Um, and could you tell me a little bit about why it was so important to you for Howarth to have this very authentic feel, for it to feel like this industrial West Yorkshire village and not to be this chocolate box period drama um, set? Well, we couldn't have filmed it at the parsonage as it is now because it's very different. There's a, there's a whole wing on the side of the word extension. So it, it looks very different now to what it looked like then. There's the, the graveyard is covered in trees, huge, big trees that just weren't there when the Brontes were there. Mm. So it, it would have looked a lot bleaker and a lot emptier when the Brontes lived there. And I think it was, 
it was important for us to, to reflect that, to, to show that it, it was a very different... Um, it had a very different feel. It was a lot more... Um, a lot sparser. Um, it, I mean, we obviously did a huge amount of uh, research, and, you know, the average lifespan in Howarth at the time was 19. Incredible. Um, so it was... You know, it, we were... We had a lot of conversations about the, 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 the main street, which um, we uh, refurbished completely. And I, I actually think we made it a bit too sanitised in the end. I think that it should have been quite a lot filthier than that down the main street. But we, it was a... There was all sorts of... It was an yeah. conversation, yeah. really, was, about you know, that, how we... Shitty Yeah, the research actually <laughs> threw up exactly that there's, there's, you know, sort of open sewers running, would have been open sewers running down the street, but... We kind of pulled back a bit from those, didn't we? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the trees are there in the graveyard now because... They were put there in the 1860s, I think, and that's part of the um, attempt to um, make the place more hygienic because the, the graveyard was overflowing with human detritus, so the trees were put there to soak up. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. um, I remember when I was interviewing you, I noticed um, your fingernails, one of the first things, because they were filthy. Yeah. Um, the, de the level of detail in the makeup was incredible. I, I spoke at length to the head of hair and makeup, and she showed me the formula that she used to create this dirt and how she used to work it in with a paintbrush into the into the fingers, but how long did your um, hair and makeup take um, every every time you, you went to shoot? I don't think it was that long. It was quite quick on this one because they weren't, like, the hair, you know, we were... There was no makeup. It was kind of just hair, and then once they got makeup. the technique down, it was, like, yeah. just quick. And it wasn't, like, then, an ornate, like, some period dramas, it takes so long to do hair, but that's because it's so ornate and mm. people are on show and they're kind of... Whereas the, this lot didn't really mm. do mm. that in a way. They, yeah, they, they it was did, all in their prep, really, yeah, before the Yeah, it was kind of, like... It was like hair, makeup, and then on set, oh, yeah. and then we'd have our teeth done. We'd have teeth like, oh. yeah. Even your teeth. Forgot yeah, about teeth. Teeth. yeah, and all that teeth. Was I was like really out. determined that people shouldn't have bright white teeth in the 1840s. So <laughs> and they didn't. Yeah, they didn't. We <laughs> tests didn't. to make yeah. your teeth brown. Yeah. <laughs> I love your um, the, the hairstyles, though, which are so very um, severe and sort of pulled over your ears, but... When you look at those hairstyles and when you look at the kind of clothes that you're wearing, they aren't necessarily the fashions of the period um, that the drama is set. They're 20 years earlier, aren't they? Because Howarth, it sort of reflects that Howarth was very much behind the times in their fashions, mm. um, which I thought was interesting. And, and is it true that um, Adam, who plays Branwell, he actually wears the most makeup out of all of you? Yeah, yeah probably. And his, and his hair is dyed. His hair is dyed. It's but he was, a bit, he was a bit like jaundice like kind of yeah. he, he was made up to look worse than to look ill yeah it's very very ill, Ill and, and, so. and to create the look of really stripped back bare you know very kind of pallid complexion yeah and there's obviously there's so much myth making when it comes to the brontes um why do you think this is why do you think people are so obsessed with them um well charlotte was the first person to kind of reinterpret the brontes after emily and Anne died she, the, um, Wuthering Heights and Agnes Grey were republished and she wrote an introduction to it, kind of apologising for Emily and Anne, sort of saying they didn't really know any better. I'm sorry they wrote this. I'm sorry Emily wrote this really aggressive novel. Um, <laughs> and she sort of tried to sanitise them. And ever since then they've been... And, and very little is known about Emily. She was such a private person. Because Charlotte became famous in her own lifetime, there's a huge amount known about her. And... Um, Less is known about Anne, and then very little is known about Emily. She's known as the Sphinx of English literature because so little is known about her. Mm. Um, 
I, I, and I think they've been reinterpreted and reinterpreted and myths have been made about them just because they were so... It was such an unusual situation to have these three literary geniuses in one family. Mm. Um, and the fact that they all that, that they died relatively young and that they were, their lives are, you know... Unfinished or something. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. I guess this is a question um, more for, for you three. Um, is there, do you feel like a burden of responsibility because this is a drama about real people? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we did. Like, we, we've, like, spoke about this a few times, but obviously because we know that these characters are held so, you know, people love, like, each one of them for, like, very different reasons, but because of that, obviously, you kind of feel a bit of a sense of responsibility mm. to kind of pull it off and do them justice in their story. And, yeah. you know, because we know that a lot of people... Uh, like big fans of them and their fairy, t like sort of a fairy tale story. It kind of, yeah, there is that you know there is that ad added sort of responsibility. But I mean, I, you just do your homework. Yeah, you to do your homework, then you forget about the homework and yeah. you just learn your lines. Yeah, um, and and Chloe, with with Emily in particular, um, do you feel like knowing about her own um, personal history did that inform anything for you about Wuthering Heights? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think, I think the Branwell situation was totally unknown to me before I started working on this, and just the knowledge that somebody was living in that situation, I didn't know anything about it, and Emily even says, you know, that the, a lot of the violence in her, it sort of comes from this place, and you don't really know where it's coming from, but that kind of explains it, you know, if you're living with, some, with an addict, yeah. um, and that's such a a timeless situation and I think there's a huge amount of their their own struggles in, in their books. So yeah, it was very helpful to know that. Yeah. Um, I mean the set is incredible, but I think one of the greatest feats was rebuilding the parsonage. Um, why did you decide it was necessary to rebuild the parsonage and change its location? Well as I say it's the, the, the parsonage as it is now is just very, very different. Um, it's externally it's very different. The, the back, ki the kitchen and the back kitchen doesn't exist. Sorry, the kitchen exists, but the back kitchen is now where the bookshop is. Mm. You saw it at the end. That was the real, obviously, that was the real parsonage right at the end. Um, but uh, the parsonage, obviously, it's we, we couldn't have filmed inside the parsonage because they, they wouldn't have been able to close it for that amount of time. And it's too precious, it's too delicate. Mm. Uh, we, we, you know, we did not get around a bit. We also more. really wanted to create that sense of the isolation of the house, the house on the edge of the village looking out onto that very important landscape. And I think, you know, that you don't get a sense of that so much anymore, you know, because of the way Howarth has grown up over the years. And we actually went probably about five miles outside of Howarth, right up onto the top of this very windy, cold, um, misty, Hill, all the weather is real, mm. and it was really uh, stupid. It was, to build it, <laughs> it was it was a great place to build it, and built the exterior, and had it was a pretty arduous shoot, I think, for everyone. Um, you know, it really exposed to the elements for um, quite a period of time. I know you visited, but it, uh, I think that 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 felt really important to creating the atmosphere of what it would have felt like mm. um, living at that time in Howarth. You know, it's, it's not, a, you know, it's quite a hard life. We wanted to really capture that feeling. 
Mm. And um, Finn was kind enough to take me um, to the costume department and to show me all of the many layers you would have worn. And obviously, when the weather was bad and you were out filming on mm. the moors, like your outfits got pretty heavy. I know. I don't actually know how they survived mm. or did all of that with just like cloaks and little shawls and stuff. But yeah, it was. It was hard work, but. Um, it was kind of exciting though in a way. I really, I really got into the whole costume thing. I loved it. But um, yeah, um, the yeah, the, their shoes. They had like these tiny little leather boots, and like water just completely seeped through them. And they used to walk just, like miles just even just to get to their like you know Keithley, their village that they lived there. So um, I mean, hats off to them. It was hard work back then. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's incredible when you see original. Um, the, one, some of the original dresses that Charlotte Bronte would have worn, which are shown at the parsonage, and you just get such a sense of how very petite she was. She was about four foot ten, is that right? Yeah, the same, same as me, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see. Perfect. Yeah. That, that, would that was deliberate. Sense. That was deliberate. <laughs> and then, Emily, you were around five foot seven, so there's yeah. That, yeah. that sort of height difference. Yeah, we had the, the yeah. right height difference. Did you spend yeah. a lot of time in the parsonage beforehand, like seeing the the sort of the clothes they would have worn, the shoes? Yeah, we went to. There's a few exhibitions on at the time. I think there was mm -hmm. one at the V and A. Was that right? Yeah. No, it was at the. the, the no, though it was. I can't remember where it was. I remember you. There, were, yeah, there was because of obviously her birthday. There was kind of there was a few um, exhibitions on at the time, so we got to go and actually see some of her clothes. And her waist was a lot tinier than mine. It was literally like <laughs> this. Um, and but yeah, her, really... her courses as well were yeah, um, I mean, steel um, bound, weren't they? they yeah, were... she really liked torturing herself, Charlotte. She, yeah. But you didn't all have to wear corsets, did you, during the film? I did not. You didn't. Oh. Corset quite a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Just to sort of decided that Emily wouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, we did sometimes wear corsets, but it was, um, and when I'm playing a younger, like younger Emily, I'm in a really, really tiny corset. But we sort of made a, because she was at home, so she was such a homebody, Emily. She loved the home, and it just sort of made sense that she kind of. You were more rebellious as well. It's more rebellious. Right that you she just doesn't wouldn't care yeah. what other people. She just doesn't care about a lot of things outside of <laughs> what's going on in here. So it felt silly to be kind of too. And it was a nice contrast with you guys to be that way. Yeah, you can definitely see their characters in their costumes. Yeah. yeah. Charlotte's is really harsh and proper, but then Anne is quite sort of pretty and, you soft, know, yeah. soft, but yeah. then yours so, like, is just functional. like, I don't really care, yeah. it's just a bit more, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, at the parsonage, they have samples of their hair as well, which is very peculiar, but they do, so they, you were able to match your hair colours fairly, fairly exactly, mm -hmm. is that right? Mm -hmm. Gosh, that's I think, well, did, did you, you dyed your hair? I don't yeah. think we did, yeah. did we? I dyed my well, hair a little bit. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I went, and yours was dyed. Your colour. My colour. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have a favourite scene in the production? God. I just I, like all the really conspiratorial scenes where it's like, just, I know that's quite, that's not really saying one particular, but just the bits where they're whispering and you really get a sense of like, what you know the the environment that they were in and what they were actually sort of going through and being really secretive like you know the little conversation even though it's just really small and it's just kind of a snippet of a scene but charlotte and emily where they're in the doorway you just kind of get that little insight into their minds and their you know sneaking and snooping around the house like i think that kind of yeah invites you into their leading their yeah. double life yeah and just into their head and their world and stuff like and i, I love those bits yeah. yeah. I'm really sentimental, so for me it's when Patrick says he's proud of them. Mm. 
Okay. There's, there's an, a really nice thing we had to drop because when I finished filming it, it was like 15 minutes too long. So uh, we had to drop, I had to drop quite a few scenes. And um, I mean, at the end of the day, it, it I think it tells the story really effectively and it's succinct. But there was a, a flashback scene where we saw Charlotte when she was teaching at Rowhead School in um, uh, Bradford, was it? Rowhead, I can't remember. Yeah, and um, she, she, she hates teaching, she hates the children. And she, call, she called them pin-brain dolts. And, um, <laughs> and she, one day she was uh, sitting there thinking, you know, in Cloud Cuckoo Land, in her own imaginative world, dreaming about Zamorna, a sort of handsome hero. And we, we saw this, we shot this scene where she was sitting teaching 20-odd children, and then Zamorna appeared at the back of the uh, classroom, pa played by James Norton. And we had to drop the scene. <laughs> Which was really so. That was my favourite. No, but it was. It was. I, I really hated having to drop that. But it was. It was just one of the things that when you've got too much material. What do you think will surprise viewers the most about this story? I hope it will um, bust some of the myths around the Bronte family and. Uh, hopefully reveal some of the truths around, you know, how, how they came to write. Um, there is an awful lot of mythology around them, a lot of romanticising their story, and I think it hopefully will get, you know, we'll, we'll be telling the truth, and I think that will be surprising in itself. Fantastic. I think it's important as well to show that Branwell was a very big part of their lives. He wasn't just this wastrel brother, you know, they weren't like three women separate from this wastrel brother. He was very much part of their world. Mm -hmm. And, but for the grace of God, he could have been one of the Bronte sisters. He could have been up there with them. He, he was extremely talented. Mm -hmm. He was really precocious when he was younger. And he, like a lot of people are very talented when they're young, rather than continue to grow at that rate, he leveled out when he got into his late teens. And um, it, it, it's, it's tragic that he did not go on to fulfill that early promise in the way that they did. And, and, and I think it's just that he was a huge, he had a, he had a huge influence on them when they were younger, and then he had a huge impact on them when he was older, when they were having to live with this man who was very ill. Mm. Um, I think this is a good point to open up questions to the audience. I'm just wondering, how did you put together the story? Is there one book that's absolutely wonderful, or did you have to read 27 or three? Um, or? I've, I've, read, I've read about 27. <laughs> <laughs> but the, I mean, Juliet Barker's book was was um, the thing that I, I sort of used as a bible. I mean, that's an extraordinary work. But um, when I was constructing it, well, I spent um, a month, a week in Haworth with Steve, who was sitting right next to you, who was my literary advisor. And <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, I mean, she was extremely brilliant and useful and helpful in um, helping me construct. No, not just construct it, but, but to, to break down all the stuff we'd had to read. I mean, there's, it's a huge amount of reading that goes in, and then at some point you have to put it all aside and start actually uh, writing the script. So, yeah, but, yeah, there was a, a lot of reading that went into it. How long was the script in process for? Uh, I think I researched for a month. But, I, I mean, it was, it, was, it was revision, really. It was, it was research I've been doing for you know, years and years and years. And then I think I wrote the script in about a month. Gosh. So this is a story you'd wanted to tell for a very long time? Uh, kind of, kind of, yeah, yeah. Um, so Sally, um, you're known more for your contemporary pieces. Um, how did this compare to writing something like Happy Valley or Last Tango in Halifax? And um, were there any really challenging scenes that you found hard to write? 
Um, the biggest challenge really was the dialogue, um, trying to make the dialogue feel authentic to the period, but also making it feel alive. Um, because I, I, I didn't want to just copy what <coughs> heard or seen in other period dramas, because I think we have a kind of period drama language now, which is no more authentic than... Uh, we, we, you know, we just don't know how people spoke then. So I wanted to try and make it sound a bit more vibrant and alive than... Uh, I didn't want them to speak in old-fashioned manner, but I wanted, I wanted people to believe in it. Um, I mean, for me, one of the most important things was for, to make it feel very grounded in West Yorkshire. Um, so, I mean, the, the, you know, we had various conversations about language. There was, you know, the debate about whether we should have Bramwell use the word fuck. I, I, I wasn't sure about that or not, but I was reliably informed that he would have used that word. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then there, was, there were other words as well that we had a lot of debate over, like when, at the beginning when Charlotte says Congress, when she's talking about sex. You know, me and Steve spent about an hour discussing what word to use. <laughs> and we finally decided that Congress was an appropriate uh, euphemism uh, for, and, and you know, that kind of embarrassment between Charlotte and Anne that, they, you know, this isn't something they talk about. Um, I think there was somebody picked up on, Anne at one point says addictive behaviour and somebody complained about that. <laughs> but I think they had addiction and behaviour then, so. Thank you. Um, can you just say a little bit about how you managed to get James Norton as a very small extra? We <laughs> just asked him. <laughs> Didn't he want a bigger part? <laughs> Didn't he want a bigger part? I think he thought it, just, it was as funny as we thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a shame. The, the, James was actually in two other scenes and I had to cut them both out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he does know now, doesn't he? No, yeah, we <laughs> There was the scene at Rowhead where he played as a mourner. And then there was another scene where he was on a... <laughs> terrible. It was on a rig being swirled around in the sword fight. There's, there's this sword fight between Wellington and Napoleon, and they were on a rig being swirled around and sword fighting. And it was meant to be juxtaposed with the scene where the children are sword fighting on the stairs. But the, the rig actually went a lot slower than the sword fight on the stairs. So when I cut to it, it actually took the energy away. And on the day when we were shooting, I tried to get them to speed up the rig, but the, then the problem was the centrifugal force pushed them further apart, so the swords didn't clash. So they had to go at quite a slow speed. And then when it was juxtaposed with the children on the stairs fighting, it just didn't work. So, it, so I have apologised to James for that, because he had to spend like half the day fastened to this rig. And I think it was a bit uncomfortable. But yeah, he'll have a fresh show reel, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hi Sally, um, I'm from West Yorkshire and also a lot of people probably are here today but um, I just wanted to ask how does it feel, the last few, last few years people have been so like amazed and, and kind of proud of the work that you've done, how does it feel to respond to the landscape of West Yorkshire, will you ever write anything that isn't West Yorkshire and how does it feel to have this, um, to give people of this area voice through the ages. I mean, with, I, I'm so amazed by what you've done. Have you ever found it difficult to kind of put your story and your, your upbringing to, to film, basically? Um, so lots of questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, I don't, I, it's not something I actually plan to do, to, to set things in West Yorkshire. It's something that's kind of evolved. And where kind of people expect me to write now, but I, don't, I wouldn't do it just for that sake. I mean, it is beautiful filming around there. It does add something to the quality of a drama if you've got 
um, a beautiful landscape that kind of reflects the tone and mood of the show, like in the way it does with Happy Valley. Um, and certainly it did with this as well. You know, Emily was hugely um, affected by the landscape, so it was good to be able to reflect that with the, you know, like the big drone shot. That but, but does it fulfil something in you in terms of your upbringing, or how connected are you to the landscape? Um, well, I drive on it sometimes. It's very beautiful up there. It's, it's, you know, it's got a great... Um, it's, it, it can be very bleak as well, which I like. Um, uh, it, I, I don't know. I hope one day I will write something that isn't set in West Yorkshire. <laughs> Hi, I was really taken with the three... Uh, beautifully crafted and yet disparate um, portrayals of the three sisters. Um, and you've got true historical characters that you've got to shape a dramatic journey from. But what I'm keen to understand is how you found... What was the key into the three demeanours, all, all those unspoken things that aren't in the script or not necessarily in their own writings? What was the key into that? A lot of... Because Sally's such a brilliant writer, a lot of you, your sort of... Stage directions were there in quite a comic way sometimes, especially with regarding Emily. Um, uh, so when you read it, you know there were moments where you kind of wrote what was happening, and or wrote the tone, or wrote the tone of it essentially, and that is your big cue to kind of be like, right, okay, you know what that is, and that means that this scene is about this. Um, and it was just a combination of conversations we had mm -hmm. and research that we did. We all kind of understood what their intentions were before we yeah. started. We've all got a very different, yeah. you know, path that where, like, Charlotte's very sort of focused on, you know, her literary kind of, you know, endeavour and whatever it is she's doing and trying to get these guys involved in that. And Anne is kind of, um, you know, she she's kind of, you know, got religion and then trying to help Bramwell and then, you know, the family life and then Emily is just on her own, you know, mm -hmm. I, I think it's like understanding their own like paths of what's mm -hmm. kind of going on in the head. I think the scenes between you guys as well gives you a little insight into that that Charlotte's not really involved in. You can see the relationships that were formed in the family that the were... The couplings. Yeah, yeah, like Charlotte didn't, you know, sort of resented Bramwell for a bit, but then Emily was very attached to him. But these two had a relationship that Charlotte wasn't really involved in. There was kind of a lot going on behind the scenes that yeah. you, obviously Sally and Steve knew loads about that we didn't really know. So it was useful for us to know all these kind of little things. And, and when they wrote as children as well, yeah, they, they coupled off. Yeah, they um, coupled off a bit. So they, yeah, like Gondor was written, I, I can't remember all the different pairings, but it was kind of, they wrote as children in this quite yeah. childish way where it's like you and you and you and you and you, you know, it's yeah. all kind of, that's such a clue as to what's yeah. going on. It's this, yeah. Geographically, listening to you all, you sound so different. <laughs> but during watching it, you sounded so alike. And I was wondering, first of all, I was, I was amazed that the accent was so authentic. I was sort of expecting sort of Gwyneth Paltrow and Sophie Thompson and Emma Thompson tones. And it was nice to, refreshing to hear something that was really authentic. Did you work with dialect coaches or diction? I mean, it was amazing. It was so, so, so alike, like your real sisters. We had to make um, really... We talked about this quite a lot in rehearsal, mm -hmm. the accent, because whilst all three of them, well, all four of them grew up, were born and grew up in West Yorkshire, um, their dad was Irish and their mum was Cornish. Um, the dad came over from Ireland when he was 19 and he did have a strong Irish accent, but he went to Cambridge and had spent a lot of time in England, so presumably his accent was, you know, he'd, he'd moderated his accent to some degree, so it was, 
we had to make choices about... How, we talked a lot about whether there should be a hint of Irish in their accents. Because when Charlotte went to Rowhead, Ellen Nussie did say she had a strong Irish accent, not just an Irish accent, but a strong Irish accent. But I, I don't know, we, I, we decided not to do that because it was going to get really complex. And um, it was whether to just choose certain words to be Irish with or not. And I think in the end, why did we decide just to not do that? I think because she'd been away and worked at schools, we sort of decided, obviously her accent would have been influenced by her upbringing in Yorkshire. And then because she went away and started working at, sc at schools, she, we kind of assumed that she would have started speaking a little bit more proper. Yeah. So I was sort of Especially doing sure Yorkshire, but social. Yeah, doing yeah. Yorkshire, but pronounced yeah. Matisse. So it was just like she would have kind of maybe. And again, the character or, thing where Anne and Charlotte would speak more correctly because they'd been teachers. Yeah. And, and Emily probably didn't give a toss. <laughs> 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 didn't Quite unusually as well, you did, you did have a, a good amount of rehearsal time together. Yeah, we were lucky. We spent like, we had a whole week to rehearse in Howarth. Yeah. And that was that was really almost wonderful. <laughs> yeah, almost unheard of. Normally. Yeah, yeah, for telly. And then working with a lot of um, um, local crews and stuff as well. Yeah. That you're always picked up on words and things. like You were our dialect coach mostly. Yeah, you, yeah, you, you were. Sally just told us when we were saying something wrong or you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like, do it again. Don't do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, I really, really enjoy that. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. You guys were brilliant. And the question is not too far removed from yours, which is about the casting of these guys, but they are all quite disparate. But also, um, Jonathan as the father, who I thought was wonderful, absolutely wonderful bit of casting. Well, uh, I, for me, it was, the, the, it was, well, it was important to get the right people, but I did want to think about the height thing because Charlotte and Emily would have been a very unusual sight together. And there are records of uh, descriptions of them like when they were, Charlotte and Anne, uh, Emily went to study in Brussels together and apparently Emily used to lean on Charlotte. She used to use her like a shelf. <laughs> so the, the scene by the window, that, for me, I really like that. I want this pushing, where, very slow pushing on from behind where you, you do really see that height difference. So um, that was like the first thing was to... You it, was really, it was really about finding, you know, the, the right actors who could embody the women with real truth and authenticity and... But, it's, it, I mean, it's exciting because we did just find the right people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and uh, it, it was one of those things where the, I think there, was, there, were, there, were, there were no other people who could have played yeah. those parts. At the end of it, it was, we got the right ones. <laughs> seems, <laughs> yeah. seems like a good note to close the evening <laughs> on as well. Yeah. Um, so uh, thank you so much to Sally, to Faith, to Chloe, to Charlie and to Finn for, for joining us this evening and for a wonderful production.